Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Where's your pretty face? Oh, there it is. Hello, Sophie. How are you today? I'm really good today. I think everyone will be happy to hear that I no longer have my period, so I'm a little bit more chirpy. But boy, that was a wild, wild week for my family especially. (laughs) I want to also ask the question, I say period, but some people say periods. What do you say? No, it's singular, right? Yeah, but there are so many people. We'll have to do like a poll because so many people say periods with an S on the end. Can you put it in a sentence? Oh, I've got my periods. No joke. People say that. I've got my periods. No, no. I think that's just wrong. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going to I'm going to put it out there next week and see what people come up with if they are a period with an S or just a plain solid period and see what people think. Yeah, period sounds like you're trying to almost make it like cutesy and bearable and it's just not. I also want to ask the people, do they just keep getting worse? Like I'm someone who never used to really struggle with periods, never used to really struggle (laughs) with PMS. And I just feel like, I don't know if it's with the more children you have or the older you get, or am I, am I I getting weak? (laughs) I don't know, but I feel like, I feel like now every time I get my period, I'm like, oh, well, that fucking explains that, doesn't it? That explains that fight. No, I will not tell Nick he was actually correct. I was still correct. Never. And then I then I feel like I'm hemorrhaging and it feels <laughs> like it goes on forever and I get cramps and these are things I never used to get. Have yours gotten worse? I know two people that host a podcast. <laughs> Maybe we should get them to get someone on to talk about these questions <laughs> We can find the answers. <laughs> so I think we well, should. We have, we have spoken to a period coach before, but maybe we need to get back into the period I think chat. We do. But hey, you're way older than me. Yeah. So as an older woman, <laughs> can you tell me, have yours been getting worse? What does my future look like? Yeah, look, it's not great. I feel that. It's not right. God God help me when I go through menopause, that's all I can say, or perimenopause for that matter. I really struggle with my periods and, oh, there we go, I said periods. Oh, no, but I'm talking about plural, like not just the month. You're talking about multiple, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Carry on. Um, yeah, so I I don't know. I think that there's some months where I just go, oh, I didn't realise that was coming, and then it's almost like if there's something that's been brewing in the past week, like... Yeah, like I've been yelling for the whole month. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then it's going to ramp up and it's going to be like more intense than the other ones. So I really, sometimes it is... Sometimes it isn't. We need to find the answers because we have them once a month, girls. Most of us do. So, 
yeah, maybe we should get someone on professional. You are quite a hot person, oh. like in looks, but also in temperature Dead as it is. So I do think menopause will be interesting. I'll have to go no to offense. Antarctica <laughs> if it actually is going to still be like cold in a few years' time. That's where I'm heading. Now, how was your week? Look, my week was good, actually. It was just mediocre and that was really nice. I needed mediocre. Yeah, I feel like just getting back into our rhythm after obviously everything happened in our area with the floods. And then I went to Melbourne and then, yeah, just getting back into a bit of a rhythm, sending the kids back to daycare. Thank you universe. (laughs) And yeah, just getting back into exercise and thinking a bit more about, you know, what I was putting in my body and da, 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 da. Um, yeah, I'm just feeling a bit better. What were you putting in your body, Sophie? (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of this and a little bit of that. No, no comment. (laughs) No, moving on. But, yeah, so it's been nice to just have a mediocre week, um, you know, just ride the wiggles come down. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, just just, just get back to a bit of boring, but it was nice boring. Well, I have a app that pops up and it gives me, like, positive – affirmations every 20 minutes you can change the time but like 20 minutes yeah when I'm when I'm feeling like I just need like if there's something that I'm going through and I need my mind and my anxiety to like calm down these just pop up like like when you open your phone that's just what comes up and it's a bigger app than a normal screen so anyway long story short this just came up and I thought I'd share it for everyone else because I thought it was quite cool in these times It says, despite how I feel, I understand this feeling and situation are temporary. So anyone that is having a rough day, maybe not a positive day because you want that to go for a lot longer, (laughs) but if you're having a down day, just remember that it is temporary and you will come out on the other side. Trust me, I came out on the other side of my period and now I'm fucking great. And if you're feeling amazing, laugh it up because that too is temporary and bad days are coming. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Now, do you have any, oh, how was your week? (laughs) Um, We can move right along. I'm happy to to skip past. No, I've had a really good week. It's actually Yumi's birthday. Well, it would be today that if anyone's listening to this episode. So super excited. Also super sad that my last baby is three. Like that's no longer baby anymore. You don't have a baby. And guess what? She's fully toilet trained. You're bordering on kind of not even toddler anymore. Like when, is she a child now? She's also, she's almost like a a pre-teenager. She's out of control. But she, she was born out of control. Yeah, I know. That's true. And she is not wearing nappies. So it's, it really is like all these elements and her talking and yelling and fighting at me. It's just like, wow, where has my baby gone? But yeah, it's a special moment. So that's fantastic. No lows to really speak about because I felt like I really spoke about them last week so we can move right along. I'm so stoked to hear she is toilet trained and no shade but I feel like we did a toilet training episode probably about 18 months to two years ago and you were telling us that she was starting her toilet training journey. 
So that's been a long one. (laughs) And can I just say, there is no limit to toilet training. If your child decides that they don't want to toilet train or you give a certain style a go and then that doesn't work, that's okay. Because I clearly tried that method and she decided that wasn't the method she'd like to take. And now nearly being three, she has decided that she's happy to wee and poo in a toilet and happy to not wear a nappy at night. So yeah, we're super proud of her and super proud of us for not being stressed about toilet training. Good on you. Now, any mum hacks or rude or fabulous for us? All right. I'm allowed to say who this person's rude or fabulous is. It's from my girlfriend, Shay. And oh my God, we went for a walk the other day and I peed myself a little when she told me this story. I could not believe it. (laughs) That doesn't, that's not saying much. (laughs) Okay. So here it is. I was showering my five-month-old daughter and then swapped her to my partner to dry and then my three-year-old son came in to shower after. As he came in, I happened to be shaving my vagina. It needed a little attention. I shaved it into a sneaky little landing strip. He didn't really mention anything to me in the shower except asked what I was doing and I blatantly told him, I'm just shaving my vagina. Anywho, not another mention from it until we arrived the next morning at his daycare Dun, dun, dun. And I said the usual good morning to his educators and popped his bag away and he went right up to his teacher and the first goddamn thing he said was, my mummy shaved her vagina last night and left a big hairy line. It looks so (laughs) funny. (laughs) Oh, my God, Milo. Great, fucking great. Now his teacher knows I have a saucy landing strip. Mortified but laughed it off. Died on the inside. Definitely rude. However, my vagina is fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. Can I just say, if that educator had kids, they would be so impressed that you're even doing any kind of maintenance down there. So I think the entire thing is fabulous. (laughs) Then on the other end, she went to pick him up and sent me a message yesterday and she goes, oh my God, he's done it again. He just said it as I was leaving. I'm like, now the whole fucking daycare knows what I've got going on down there. Ah, oh, legend. Now more than just the daycare, no, yeah. sorry. And <laughs> now everyone knows Shay is well maintained. Now, mum hack. Yes, uh, one of our lovely listeners sent us Alex Pendlebury's story this week saying that she had a mum hack in her story. Basically, she was swapping over her car seats and had the car seats in her lounge room and she had the TV on and her two boys were being really, really quiet and she couldn't work out why. And she went into the lounge room and they had were both sitting in their car seats and had clipped themselves into their car seats watching the TV. And I just thought that is yes, epic. that is. I'm going to do that because it's a novelty for them. And so they do click themselves in. And, oh, my gosh, can I also say I have actually reached a really big milestone. Yourself. Poppy can now unclick her car seat and click herself into her car seat. It is so good. And I know people would think that might be bad, but she's such a rule follower that she would never unclick it 
while driving because she's like the first person to say to me, like, mummy, you don't have your seatbelt on or whatever. So she waits until we stop the car and she now unclicks herself and it is so, so brilliant. I'm impressed because I struggle to actually click that myself. (laughs) It's really quite hard and then I pinch her legs. Also coming back to that car seat thing, Yumi has done it when we've changed car seats around except You might want to, and I don't know what your car seats are like, but you might want to put the back strap and tie it to the couch because she strapped herself in and face planted onto the carpet. (laughs) And then she was left and I was like, oh, shit, okay. So, yeah, maybe strap that back. Speaking of things that maybe aren't like regulation (laughs) and approved, I um, did see another mum hat come in and I don't have it on me right now, but I'll paraphrase what she said. And, look, we don't actually know if this is safe sleeping arrangements, (laughs) so don't, you know, don't follow us up on it. But, anyway, someone sent in a message saying that her little one learnt to roll and pull to their knees when they were really, really young and they were almost too young to teach them like how to stop doing it and she was worried about the bub sleeping on her front after rolling. So what she did is she put her in her sleep suit and then got two big bulldog clips and bulldog clipped the bottom of her (laughs) sleep suit to her mattress (laughs) so she couldn't move around her cot and she couldn't flip over. And I'm not recommending it, but I just thought it was quite fabulous. Yeah, that is quite fabulous. That's quite good. (laughs) All right, I feel like we've been gas bagging for hours, so we're going to move on to today's episode. We chatted to the beautiful Nicole. She is a paediatric physio, and we talked all about, I guess, why not to worry a lot about, you know, reaching those gross motor milestones and when you can worry and things to look out for and why that process is often not linear. We both know and remember what it was like, especially when we had our first children, like, you know, just feeling like you're always waiting for them to hit that next milestone. Um, So we really hope that people can listen to this and it can just help, yeah, relax and just enjoy the process a bit more. Hello, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, For our listeners who uh, maybe don't follow you on Instagram or don't know you, would you be able to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and what we're going to chat about today? I'm Nicole. I am a baby and kids physio from Western Australia and I empower parents about how babies are so amazing and beautiful and intelligent and clever little things and how we as parents can sit back and have a coffee and provide opportunities for them to learn or we can you know we can get involved and it's a nice balance so yeah I just like to help parents see the magic in in development really instead of just being worried about the next big milestone and when are they going to walk when are they going to roll it's sort of trying to find the magic in the now and what are they doing right now and how cool is that and look at all these cool things that are happening that you might not have might have seen before that's so important because I feel like especially with your first child um, (sighs) or if you do have a child who's a little bit delayed it can be so scary and you can almost wish each month away just hoping that they're reaching the things that they're quote unquote meant to be reaching so I guess it's important to have these conversations so that people know I guess when it is reaching reasonable to worry and when you can sit back and just enjoy kids for how different they all are. Why is 
it, especially with, I guess, um, gross motor skills that that kids can differ so much? I mean, even within the same family, kids can differ so much when they reach certain things and when they don't. Yeah, I guess the first thing it comes back to is there's so much development in that first 12 or 18 months in a child's life. Like there's so many things happening. If you see them from this tiny newborn that's on your chest, like helpless, snuggling into, you know, walking around and starting to talk and say no and and hold their own. Like that's a huge, it's one of the one of the biggest times in our lives where so much change occurs in such a small time frame. And I think that we think that there's this huge difference, but it's really only months like between kids. Mm. And I suppose it's a big percentage of their life already, but it's actually it's really hard to explain. But the theory behind it's called dynamic systems theory. But all of your systems are interacting so yes it it comes down to some genetics and the way your your muscle types you know some people are better at running some people are better at swimming everyone has different types of muscles and and bodies and everyone's built differently so there's the genetic component but then there's also personality and their interests and they're when like when they're motivated to do something else and they have different strengths so some bubs are like really focused on language development or exploring with their hands and others just want to go and move and explore everywhere and um also in terms of like your environment and your your family context and what you do as a family and the environmental opportunities so all of these things are interacting to produce development and that's why no baby is the same and there's also no right or wrong like there's it's normal variance like it's normal to have a variance in when babies achieve milestones because if they all achieve them at exactly the same time, I don't know, I just don't see it's possible because, like, not everybody's the same. So I think the wonderful thing that I say to parents is that if you feel like, you know, it's not it's not your fault your baby's not developing, like, as on the perfect average rate. So, for example, walking by 12 months is 50% of kids. So if you look at, like, a one of those math curves, what are they, the bell curves, mm. and the 50% is where most of the kids are in the middle. But it's normal to, to sit either side of that and mm. there has to be those kids to make that curve and that's that's normal, like that's normal. We worry about the kids on the other end just in case, but there, that can also be normal as well. But that's kind of why we want to check in around that 75% mark because we just want to make sure that if we can provide opportunities earlier, we can. But, um, yeah, it's normal to have a variance in development and it's really hard when you're that person in the mother's group that your bub's not doing the things and everybody else's is and that's when you start, or when you're when your mother or mother-in-law's like, well, that's when you start to worry. And I think Google is horrific for Googling <laughs> because basically if you Google anything about development, my baby, you know, my baby, blah, 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 it comes up with, you know, worst case scenario. Yeah. yeah, worst case scenarios. And then you're at 3am and you're panicking and it's just Google's not always the most helpful thing. Or on the plus side, you can Google until you find the answer <laughs> you want. Yep. Yep. And that's sometimes what I do. I'm like, oh, no, 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 that surely isn't right. And then it takes a really long time to find your answer. You're like, but you're, it's there. You're on page 75. It. Like it's the yeah. first time it's met. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on, yeah, I'm so deep in it. So let's talk milestones yeah. because when I was a first first time mama I had no idea what the hell that meant Mm. and now I know that word like the back of my hand I did 
did download an app called the Wonder Weeks app, which really helped me understand what milestones were. And I did really like what you just said, Nicole, about the fact that, you know, the only reason we have a graph of these children and their developments is because someone does have to be on the smaller scale. Someone does have to be on the larger scale. And I've had three kids and I can honestly say they have been off the scale Mm. in the middle and well above so and they're all absolutely okay isn't that funny though because I really disliked the wonder weeks so if there's anyone out there listening you can give it a go but if you don't like it that's fine too because I feel like some people love it to me it just caused me anxiety because I was like oh shit I have a bad week coming up before the week Mm. had even started but then I have heaps of friends who absolutely swore by it so give it a go if you want that's that's the thing so all the all the numbers that you see basically everywhere on social media or the internet about rolling it between at around you know five to six months or four to six months and the four month sleep regression that all of those numbers are based on the 50 percent average yeah so if your bub rolls at six months and three weeks and you're like oh you've spent three weeks stressing (laughs) because they haven't reached their milestone so the terminology of milestone milestone is actually meant to mean 90% of bubs are achieving this. But for some reason, it's been changed over time that when people talk about milestones, they talk about 50% of average kids. And so, you know, if you're not within that 50%, basically causes stress and panic that you think your child's delayed, but they're they're not delayed, they're within that. But there's just as many people Mm. out of it as there are in it. Yeah. Yeah. And so we like to talk about a window and we also talk like to talk about when to worry. Like obviously if you're worried as a parent, no matter what anyone else says, go and check in because you're either going to get the peace of mind that you need or the reassurance or the reassurance and help to help bubble along. Yeah. Like there's no there's no harm in checking in. But what I will say is like oh, like the checklists and the things, they're not like you know your baby best. So I'm an expert in motor development and, and baby development in terms of the sense of how they move, but I'm not an expert in your child and I haven't seen them for the last, you know, 12, 14, 20 weeks or however old they mm. are. Like you might be noticing things along the way that, you know, it might not sit right with you. And for me that's addressing those concerns and having a look at what you see because we see bubs that come in and they've got tight necks but actually or they've had a tongue tie release at six weeks but they're you know their mum's like oh but their neck's tight but actually they're feeding and other things are still tricky and the tongue tie or whatever it is is being resolved but they're all tight and tense and like it's it's helping it's not like you know forcing the baby to do stretch or anything it's just fun relaxed ways and play-based connection-based movement activities that help bub discover how their body moves because if they're only 12 weeks old and they've been like this you know really like tense and because it's been such an effort to, to feed for 12 weeks like you know you've got to break that pattern nicole's in a tight little ball on the floor for anyone <laughs> wanting to know um and so like you know i i love that about being a physio is we can like babies are so moldable and adaptable we can show them something that they didn't know was there and their little brain lights up and they just run with it and it's amazing it's it's beautiful so milestones i guess they've been wrongly termed now because they are you know in a general sense they're like yeah it's the 50 percent but you know we don't want to cause stress Mm. but when should parents be concerned other than if their gut instinct is just telling them i feel like something's off if you don't get that instinct, what is a good sign that it's probably time to seek help? I think if you're not seeing a progression in skills, so like not just focusing on the big skill, but if you're not seeing 
So say we take rolling for as an example. Like if you're like everyone goes, oh, bub, rolling by, you know, it used to be four months now. I like to think of it by about six, seven months, bub's not rolling. But if they're not reaching across their body, if they're not turning their body side to side, if they're not, you know, picking their feet up and holding their feet and doing a little happy baby pose, like if they're not making progressions in their skills and you find that they're just kind of not moving, that's when I would check in at any stage if you feel that there's been a, a plateau. And sometimes parents will say, but, you know, they started rolling and then they stopped. And I said, well, what else is going on? Oh, well, they started like, you know, vocalising more and then they also started mm. reaching and they started doing this. And so it's not just thinking, it's thinking all about the child, like what are they gaining skills in all of the areas because it's a huge time of their life for gaining skills. Like you can't focus on everything at one time. So one is if there's a lack of progression in like across the domains but also if they regress so like the rolling was a good example of like them stopping but they're focusing on other things but if you find that they stopped a skill say if they've started to walk and then they stop walking and then they knee walk like that's when you want to check in yeah. or if they right they're going yeah, backwards yeah because yeah, it is really interesting how different they can be in developing because so I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old and my first baby I would say met milestones earlier than my second baby, but she was much more likely to do something once and then take a really long time before it was something that was really normal for her to do. Whereas my Mm. second baby, Goldie, she took a little bit longer. There were never concerns with delays, but it was almost like she watched and waited until she'd kind of perfected something and then she did it and it was just like, okay, well, now I walk and that's how I get around. Whereas Poppy was like, oh, I'll take a couple of steps, but then I'm not going to take another the step for like a week or so um and it's are you so- telling us your baby's a perfectionist so um no well it, their personalities are very much the other way around to how they actually developed skills but Physically, um yeah, yeah you're yeah. with the crawlers too there's some bubs that just want to move and so they'll drag themselves around over anything and there's some bubs that will just sit there and watch and they'll practice and then they'll go slapped into hands and knees yeah crawling. and so like the variance is beautiful. Like we should celebrate. And that's you're observing your children. So like you're sitting there and you're observing them and you're noticing those things. And that's the most lovely part, I think. So uh, Billy only bum shuffled where she used one leg to hook and sweep her bum across the floor. And she went from that to standing to walking. And I kind of panic because when you Google mm. stuff, <laughs> they tell you that you have to crawl before you walk. So I was like, is that a form of crawling or do I need to get on my hands and knees and like after she's walking, <laughs> get back down to crawling? I heard a story about a soccer player that was becoming a goalie and he never, ever learned how to crawl. And they fundamentally had to teach him when he was 21 to go back learn how to crawl you're like will she ever develop kneecaps yeah so (laughs) what's really cool about that jade is they could go back and teach him and he adapted yeah like it wasn't a permanent dysfunction well said and so i get a bit frustrated about the fear mongering when it comes to baby development because you are like everyone you know we've all been first time mums it's like there is you know you're worried about everything learn the other one thing they wanted to note about checking in is if you notice a side to side difference Mm. in how your baby moves but that that side to side difference sort of persists through development so if they you know only roll to one side and then they crawl on with using one like one side or reaching to one side like so if you're seeing that definitely check in in terms of the commando crawling versus the crawling bubs that are motivated to move will move and sometimes especially lately in when we've had all 
lockdowns and a little bit more isolated, if they're not being exposed to how the babies move and they haven't been able to see and, you know, or have exposure to that, that's how they move and it's working for them. So why, why, how mm. would they know to discover anything different? And so that's what I do say to parents is our cool job, like where our job isn't to teach them how to move, like that's programmed and it's our job is to provide those environmental opportunities and the play opportunities. So like throw the cushions over the floor and make it an obstacle course so they have to, you know, slug over and go, oh, hang on, I'm on my arms. What does that do? Oh, this is cool. So that they can sort of figure that out and open new doors in their brain to sort of discover new skills and that's why, you know, like nature is fun for that and that's why kids do so well out in the outdoors is because it's they just discover new ways of doing things and they have to be innovative and stuff like that but anyway so in terms of crawling there's no there's no research that says if your baby doesn't crawl x will happen like it's not causative sometimes they look at children with certain conditions or certain things happening for them they go well they didn't crawl and someone goes oh well, yeah. the crawling course, no, that was kind of a way to the child. Yeah, like always yeah. that condition. We've only just diagnosed it now. And, you know, some some bubs that are really long, like that's hard effort to hold up on your hands, like wheelbarrow. Like if you're a really tall person, wheelbarrowing is really hard, but you can you can build the strength to do it, but it's just it's harder. So, you know, commando crawling is more efficient and, you know, we're all humans. We all pick the easiest thing to do at the time, like, it's not, you know, everyone cuts the corner on the, the pavement rather than walking all the way around because it's quicker. Why would I stay on that pavement? I can go this way. But, yeah, I haven't seen any. People talk about fine motor skills and, you know, I love crawling for building arm and shoulder and hand strength, but you're right. You can you can do that at, and people have this misunderstanding that motor development is a linear process, that you gain one skill mm. and then the next skill comes mm. and then the next skill comes. Like it is not, there's no right or wrong. It's not black and white and I get I get really frustrated when, you know, people are like, rah, 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 because, like it has to be in a certain order and I just think, well, every family is different and, you know, the our people from Papua New Guinea, like they, their babies don't crawl, they bum shuffle because they don't put them down because of safety risks and other things. And I don't oh, see any studies why. saying that they... I never put I her down. Yeah, she cried. She was she a really, really colicky so baby. So I just so... didn't want to risk it. So I just carried her everywhere. And she's really strong in her tummy muscles. And so bum shuffling was easy. And she got from A to B. Wow. And she probably had one. The leg that was up was the one that yes. was around your hip. Like, you know. Oh, my God. Up and Epiphanies down. everywhere. I like that you say it's not linear because I feel like sometimes you go yep. check and then in two months they're going to do this check. But I remember even with Goldie, she was a little bit later to roll but was like a little bit earlier to sit. So she didn't really roll that much because like by the time you're sitting. What are you rolling for? There's not really that much of a reason to roll. So I was like, did she ever really roll or like that she's fine? I know. And so I always say to my parents, it's different between can't and won't. Yeah. Like if I can't because there's something physically stopping me, like that's, but if I won't because, you know, because of whatever was happening in our life and my brain developed, my siblings and whatever else was going on, if I, you know, had more opportunity to practice sitting and now I'm sitting and I can use my two hands and I can see you and we have social engagement and my whole world has opened up, can you put me back on the floor? Like, I don't want to go down there. I can't, no. I can't you know, like it's harder. So I do, I love tummy time and I love being on the floor and I love I, I love trying to emphasize to parents that babies need to know how to move between positions. So if you're always putting them in the sitting and they can only sit, 
they're going to get really frustrated and, and you're going to, they're going to rely on you more to transition them and you're going to be like, oh, I just sat you right. down now to put you down here because you're going to do so. So we need babies to be independent in their movement. But, you know, the sitting and rolling and crawling, variety is the spice of life, whatever. Where know. the hell were you when I had a newborn? My first child. Oh, probably struggling with that. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of tummy time, I don't feel like I ever really did it enough because babies just freaking hate it. Do you have some, like, so how often are you meant to do tummy time and how do you get them to not hate mm-hmm. it? Well, if you think about it, like if you're, with me and rolling on the ball in the floor again, um, if you're all tight in the, in the womb and all comfy and then you come out and you're, like people expect their babies to be able to do tummy time on the floor day one, which is the head is like massive. <laughs> like this is huge. Yeah, it's heavy, Especially right? when you were my I children. Know, oh, I've I got two big-headed children. And some babies are just, you know, those ones that come out and they're like, I'm here, ready for life. Like Strong neck. You know, and they love tummy time and they love tummy time from day one and then they're never going to be the ones that don't like it. But for some other kids, their head might be big or they might be a little bit tight or whatever. Babies aren't meant to lift their head day one in tummy time on the floor. In fact, they hate being on the floor. They just want to be on you. Like I'm so huge on the fourth trimester about connection and play and tummy time not it doesn't have to be on the floor. It can be on your chest. It can be in the carrier. It can be over your yeah, arm. Like, that's so true. Have to that's be nice. any of the, like, I just want to reframe tummy time in, as leaving your baby alone on the floor. Of course, they're not going to like it. They don't want to be alone and they don't want to be on a cold, hard floor. Like, you know, there's some lovely mats we can get. <laughs> I put my niece, who's seven weeks old, on the couch on her tummy and I laid on the floor so she could see my face. And my sister-in-law was like, oh, I never do tummy time because I feel like she doesn't like it. And then I was sitting with her and I thought, imagine how wild her way of life is by being on your back and seeing that angle of everyone and then being set up and seeing that angle and then being face down. Like their brains would be exploding with all this different angle information. And that angle information and like I think of babies. Is that a right term? Yeah, well, yeah, well, it can be whatever. So, well, you know, like in our sensory system, we have our eyes and our ears and our skin. And so basically babies' brains are exploding. And so any way that we can stimulate their sensory system helps to open new doors in their brain. Through their eyes, like you just said, tummy time on their backside, wherever, it's opening new visual brain, like visual things for them. Um, you know, massage and touching and holding, and that's why we do all of that stuff. But the other one is the little inner ear. You know when you go on the swing and you're like, whoa. Well, babies have that oh, inner yeah, ear balance, and that helps them orientate and helps their grief, all those things develop and, and change over time. So I really like to think of babies as 3D, like they are, but, you know, and if we can, if we can give <laughs> 360. them. 360. Yeah, if we can give them lots of, you know, don't go throwing your baby around. But if you think about, you know, the way you hold and move and carry your barb, if you can give them different variety into input, variety of spice of life, give them a bit of difference. So I love tummy time on your chest. And I also love tummy time where you put your hand across. But I found as a new mum with, you know, the fourth trimester being battered down by lack of sleep and giving birth and nutrition and trying to breastfeed and all that, but I just didn't have the muscle strength. So bringing Mm. my other arm across and kind of like wedging their arms under your arm so that they're kind of like little propped on their head and then they can see around. And that's a really nice way to carry up. And they love it. Yeah. Especially if they've got like a burp or anything, they just love the tummy pressure. And it's helped with gassy and reflux and all those things. So I love carriers. I'm a huge advocate 
capitaries as well and the, the closeness and the connection. And there's some beautiful research coming out of America about how um, having bubs and carries helps you learn to read their cues. So you can almost anticipate when they're going to be upset or anticipate when they're going to be grizzly or anticipate. And it's that, like when we talk about tummy time or play or anything, I always bring it back to reading your baby's cues and knowing your baby because it's not tummy time as in like, let's do five minutes and let's watch the clock. It's let's watch our baby and try different positions mm. and how do they like them and give them and find out what they love and what they what's their little interests. And obviously we don't want to avoid the things that they don't love because our jobs as parents is to try and keep exposing them to the tough stuff because sometimes they need to do that, like broccoli and tummy time. Our job is to try <laughs> Make and them resilient. Tough job. They can deal yeah, with tummy time. Of like keep offering it in different ways, in different amounts, you know, with the safety of us, like the same, it's the same meal, meal times and things like that. But um, yeah, so that's kind of my little philosophy on tummy time is it doesn't have to be on the floor and let's not watch the clock, let's watch the baby. That, that's such good advice and that's great what you said about carriers because we actually had quite a few people write in asking is there too much time for a baby to spend in a carrier and does that hinder development there's been no research to show that it it delays development I would say that if you are having spending a lot and I spent a lot of time in the carrier with my second with Claire because she was you were in the carrier I felt like I wanted to be she was really really reflexy not a happy chaffy baby so um she spent heaps of time in the carrier um but you just have to make sure that their hips are positioned well in the carrier so if you're going to be spending a long time in anything positioning is really important the same with swaddling so you don't wrap those legs in really tight have that nice supported you know the m shape for their hips a little frog i was gonna ask you that are there some carriers out there that are too wide for babies' legs that can actually widen their hips and what do you call it? Like hinder. Yeah, hinder their development. So one thing that I always say to families is we're so lucky in Australia that we have the Baby Wearers Association who have like little hubs all over Australia, which is like a volunteer, I think it's not profit that has so many different types of carriers you can go to your local meetup and try on different carriers. But if you don't have that, head down to your store or ask around your friends and try them on because your carrier not only has to fit your baby's shape but also your shape. So, like, if you're really broad or really narrow or different shape, the carrier's going to sit differently on your shoulders and, you know, so try on the carriers and have someone who knows about carrier fitting help you with that. The second thing is for babies that have hip dysplasia, that are treated in the braces, they actually hold them in like extreme abduction, ah. like extreme, like, you know, like they're held like this. So they actually want them widespread. Being widespread helps the development of the, the hip socket over the ball. So if you're in the carrier and the legs are hanging straight down, you actually aren't having much developmental contact around them. So that's why they don't like the swaddling of the legs tight together or having carriers where the legs hang for an extended period so either like forward facing too early and having the legs hanging down Uh, um, or and because babies are so moldable in those first four to six months of life like their Mm. bones are still rubber basically and it's only that's why if you have hip bub with hip dysplasia you have ultrasounds up until four months because the bones aren't really bone yet and then at six four to six months it changes to an x-ray because they start to go hard Mm. yeah so that's why like that positioning stuff is really important in the first sort of six months so how do you know if you've if your child has hip dysplasia so some people will feel like clunks clicks not like clicks of babies click all the time but like a clunk 
you might notice. So there's there's different risk factors. So um, firstborn, female, family history, anything that means there's less space in the womb, but they will check them. So your child health nurse will check at the six-week and the 12-week mark and they'll do little tests, you know, asymmetrical bum creases, like groin creases. I'm not as worried about the thigh creases because some bubs are just chubbed mm. different levels, but it's more looking at their little little groins and bottoms and lining those up. And some some bubs might have mildly shallow hips and you don't really know until they kind of, like when they start walking and moving, they're using one hip different to the others. And breach is a risk factor, right? Yeah, yeah. breach, breach is the other one. Yeah. Yes, breach. So that's where they're like coming out bum first and there there's different types of breach and they relate to different risks of hip dysplasia but yeah they felt but your doctor will know that and they'll alter if you breach or have any of those like if you have any of the combination of those risk factors they will screen with the ultrasound or the hip tests and speaking of your bones being like rubber are there any concerns if your baby hits their milestones too early like if you had a really young baby or people who were saying that their baby really likes to stand and, you know, bounce on their legs heaps and you're kind of holding their body, but they're quite young, Is it, can they wreck their hips doing that or anything? So if your baby's doing it on their own, so if your six-month-old starts pulling to stand, they have the strength to do that. And I would love to see you stop them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing. People are like, oh. I'm like, well, show me how you're stopping them yeah. from this because they're going to pull us down on anything <laughs> now that they've figured that out. So you can't really stop them once they figure out a skill. In terms of you holding your baby on your lap and then bouncing, babies love to stand and especially around that four to six month mark because it opens up their world and they've just sort of started figuring out how to weight bear through their leg and they've kind of, they've, when they're really little, if you put them on their legs, they do that stepping reflex. Yes, yes, And that yes. kind of fades around that four to six months. Like it's still around there and they have it a little bit later on. But when you put them on your lap and, they, and they're like, oh, I can do this and I've got these length things and they love it. But you're standing there with your arms and like, oh, my God, it's been two minutes. No way, I'm not doing it more. Um, so you put them down because you can't hold them forever unless you're like super buff, um, which I'm not. But <laughs> what I'm saying is if you're holding them and supporting them, they're actually not going to do it that much. You're not going to be doing it all day. And it's going to be very small bouts. And so that's fine because it's varieties of spice of life. It's when their spud bones are still rubber, like that four to six month mark, and you put them in standing devices or, you know, the jolly jumpers and you kind of leave them there, that their legs are in those devices as well, those containers, the crotch is really narrow. So their legs hang mm. and then they're there for a long time and they're putting weight through. That's more of a like no one's going to study that because it's like saying let's jump out of the plane without a parachute and see what happens. Let's study that. Like you don't really, it's not ethically. Yeah. We know about bone development. We know that their bones are still rubber and developing. Like let's not do that to those babies. So do you not recommend jolly jumpers at all or you just don't recommend them for a prolonged period of time? Well, in that four to six month period where they're like, you know, when they're under six, seven months basically and their bones are still rubbery and very moldable and responsive to forces I if your grandma buys one and she brings it over for the birthday and you have to use it for 10 minutes to appease grandma like it's not going to do any harm but if you're using it every day for 10 or 15 minutes like your baby's learning that motor pattern and they are like in that position and I think it's it's, it's, it's conflicting evidence around you know, well, there's not conflicting. There's just not the evidence. Just like anecdotally, a lot of people think that it kind of, if you get them, because they're really toey, 
they worry that it leads oh, to more toe walking. Hectic. I know. It's all like catastrophic. Whereas I'm like, if you use it every now and then, like once or twice a week, 10 minutes over the age of six months, me, I'm more worried about their hip development earlier. So I think if you can, if you're supporting them in standing under six months, that's fine, but probably don't leave them in standing under six months because of their rubbery bones. I'm more worried about getting them in and out because it's so bloody hard to get a chunky baby in and out of those jolly jumpers. I know you can lay them down and put them in and then hang them up, but then you're trying to do it with one hand, clip them in. It's like, yeah. oh, just sit on the floor. A lot of it comes down to risk as well. Like with the walkers, you know, the walkers with the wheels on the bottom and you put them in and they kind yeah. of scoot around. They're banned in Canada. What? babies trick. Because of them tipping they, they they trip and tip on like rugs and stuff and they've had like fractured skulls and broken <gasps> bones and things like that so they're banned in canada they're not recommended by the physio association in australia but they're not banned but is it just canadian what about babies bumbos? that are like that or is it like all round <laughs> no it's everywhere but, <laughs> but canada's very like well let's just ban these but they there's a risk <laughs> of if like it trips or like if they fall down a step, it's it's not great for babies. So from a safety perspective, we don't recommend the walkers with the wheels on them. But also the way they learn to walk and the muscles that they're using to learn to walk. Yeah. So basically any type of container, whether it be a bumbo or a jolly jumper or a walker or you know one of those standing devices, like they're not going to teach your baby to stand and they're not going to teach your baby to walk. They're just they're basically something we use for ten minutes break while we have a cup of tea for some peace of mind. But if anyone's listening that has been using jolly jumpers, bumbos and walkers, their child is going to be okay. Oh yeah, correct? let's reframe that. Let's let's have this conversation. No, let, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it's because fine. I just want to address that yeah, people like no, not to stress. No, babies are adaptable and it's the extended use. And you know, that's the other thing. You can't say that because some babies, everybody's genetically different. Some babies could use these things and be totally fine and other bubs have a different type of connective tissue or bone development and you know do it a couple of times and respond like heaps quicker and and change things heaps quicker and so it's really it's not black and white it's really gray but like using something for a short amount of time infrequently is not going to affect your baby's long-term yeah like I found the bumbo super helpful when they couldn't quite sit and you but they wanted to sit you can't just hold them up the whole time and like if you're needing to make dinner and they're going to be in it for like 20 minutes and then but that's literally saved your evening yeah once your baby (laughs) like you can hold your baby at the hips and they can hold themselves up or you know when they're like they look like they're propped like a almost like a yeah, taco like where, bent forward yeah, yeah like where they're propping on their hands they're early sitting milestones and so i tried to use the bumbo with will my eldest but he's too big in the thighs so he couldn't i couldn't get in yeah they months. don't feed if they're chunky he was, hey he was massive and i was like man i can't get you out and really stressful and so we used the washing basket so I just like chuck all the clothes and stuff in the washing basket and hide like a, oh, I'm a kitchen up. cup yeah that's yeah. great and like Chuck him in the washing basket while I was cooking dinner because he didn't fit in the bumbo. But um, I would use the bumbo before he didn't fit for like a week for dinner time. But from the floor, not on the counter because, you know. Of course you didn't. You definitely didn't. I actually put a shitload of um, pillows and cushions all around a play mat in the middle of our living room yeah. and I just like propped her up and, you know, just made sure that if she did fall forward or back she wasn't going to crack her head on something dangerous but if they do fall back or forward like they just roll around and then learn how to sort of move off their face I guess yeah and they good parenting no no (laughs) let's address this because I did see something on Instagram the other day which was like a backpack which had like this pillow at the back to like 
stop kids like so babies had it wearing this backpack and sitting and walking oh they fell and they like but it's silly because they're meant to fall like yeah baby's learning to walk will fall like 17 times an hour and new baby's learning to sit with face plan and fall over the place but jade what you was perfect in like setting up a safe environment and letting them explore that risk that is perfect mm. but how can they fall so much and be okay like when got when poppy was pulling to stand we lived at a house with a concrete floor and honestly it nearly sent me gray because she would fall so much from her standing height just straight onto her head and i was just like is she okay but look at her height mm. compared to you falling Yes, and yeah, that's totally. the thing, like it's the mass and the force and they're very small and their centre of gravity is really small and they, they're bouncy and they're rubbery. And, you know, there's some fantastic education people on the gram that talk about risks and when to check in a hospital and all of those things. They still break their bones, don't they, Soph? Can't avoid that one. No. And um, so it's kind of like our job as parents is to minimise the severe consequences but let them explore their risk and explore their motor skills. And the only way they're going to learn is through practice. And so, I don't know, I like I, I did the sitting up in the mat. I called it the pillow hole, chuck them in the pillow hole. Can we talk a little bit about play geocephaly and what it is and any ways or things we can do to try and avoid it? So play geocephaly is a flattening of one side of the skull the back of one side of the skull um, and brachycephaly is flattening the whole back of the skull and basically these terms become we've become more aware of these things since the back sleep sids campaign in the early 90s which saves thousands and thousands of lives it's really important but before that all the babies were put on their tummies to sleep and so they would play on their back tummies to sleep and they had this variety in position whereas when they introduced that in the early 90s all the bubs got put on their back to play and back to sleep. And because they're newborns, they can't really move very much. And because they have been in a tight womb for a long time, they tend to have tightness in some areas of their bodies, which leads to sort of like a, a head turn preference of turning one way or the other, which is completely normal. But tummy time and variety of movement and holding your baby differently helps to stretch out those tightnesses. But if you're like being on their back all the time and with that tightness and being sort of in that one position for a long period of time their skull is super moldable so it kind of moves over time it's not like I can't sit here with my newborn and push on their skull and move their skull plates yeah. like that's Thank not possible goodness. that's not a, not a thing like I can't be like oh I'm just gonna move it's kind of like over a long period of time you know, like if they spend a long time on that on that head, it will start to change shape because of the pressure. So you'll see like the back of their skull flatten and the and in severe cases, the front of their skull move forward and their ear move forward and their eye change shape as well. So if you're noticing that your child, when they're on the ground or when they're sleeping, really prefers the one side each time, should you see someone before there's kind of any molding yeah, so, difference? You know, under sort of six weeks, babies have weird shaped heads because they're of yeah. how they've been for the last 40 weeks. <laughs> so we, can't, we kind of expect out. that they're yeah, going to have weird shaped heads to start with. But if you're noticing a preference, the first thing you can do is help provide opportunity for the baby to turn the other way. So whether that be, you know, 
you turning their head or practicing some lying on their side or you know putting the toy like putting your face on that side the other side so they turn to you mm. one of the big ones I always say to mum is like where is bub sleeping and they're like oh next to me in the bassinet and I'm like what side are you on oh, I'm on the preference side oh, oh turn them yeah. upside down in the bassinet so that you're on the other side because they're always like newborns just want you basically and they want to smell you and they want to be on you so you know toys are okay and contrast cards can be fun to give you a break but really like they preference you so if you can move to the other side and, yeah. and help them that's a really nice opportunity sometimes it's it's literally just a, a little bit of tightness and they and you you start doing those things and it changes other times there might be a, a bit more tightness and it's a bit trickier so if you're noticing that you've done stuff and you've tried, changed things up and there hasn't really been a change I always say look from a bird's eye view so like put bub like on your knees like this and get the camera or get your partner and take a photo so you can see the bear's nose is pointing like straight up oh, to the ceiling right. and we can see the two ears. And so you'll see that the skull is round. But if your baby has sort of like flattening on one side, you'll be able to see it in that, mm. that bird's eye view. And that's why lots of people don't really notice that there's any head flattening until about, you know, three or four months because that's when they start to sit up and you look down at your baby's head and you're like, oh, <laughs> didn't see that before yeah that's okay and also like the first 12 weeks is really hard like you're not really going to be worrying about what shape your head is of your baby you're like no there's enough other things to worry about yeah what do you when is the next feed and you know all the other things so and actually should I drink some water and have I maybe I should have a shower it's been five days (laughs) just (laughs) keeping alive right but the awesome thing is I say to mums is it doesn't matter because your baby's so adaptable like they're so cool in that first year. It's that even if you think, oh, shit, it's like, you know, I've missed that. No, you haven't because they're so adaptable and they're super and you can you can change things around. So it's never your fault. It's never anything you've done. It's, you know, baby might have been tight. You could have done everything right and they still end up with a flathead. You just don't know. So don't yeah. sweat on the what ifs because let's just do what we can do now and, we'll, and babies are super with that. So And moving on to walking, what do you suggest in terms of shoes or do you think it's best to learn how to walk in bare feet? Like bare feet. <laughs> like your feet. It's Good, because like my kids refuse shoes anyway. <laughs> yeah, up here it is really hard to get shoes on children <laughs> and husbands. Oh, um, my first hate shoes and just refuses and will walk across like bare hot concrete and he's Cold. like yeah <laughs> and my daughter wakes up and goes to the cupboard that shoe i'm like no we don't need shoes she's obsessed someone gave yeah. her a pair of shoes um and that comes down to personality as well but no i think in terms of developing your sensory systems and your body awareness having that barefoot connection to the ground has some beautiful research behind it and it's really important plus the baby's bones in their feet are not bones yet and they're the muscles and the bones are adapting to the load that you put in them. So if you put them in really supportive shoes, and this goes for everybody, no matter what age, if you're wearing really supportive orthotics, your feet muscles do not have to work. And so when you go out of those, you're like, oh, this is really hard. Oh, my feet. So if you're putting your baby in really supportive shoes, their muscles aren't having to do the job of balancing them. So, But they need that. They need that to shape the bones and shape the foot and, and for that beautiful foot health. So I, I love their feet. Um, and if you have to protect Bub's feet, like a super, super soft sole, like you can almost scrunch the shoe up. So like yeah. my favourite ones are like with the like you know like the leather the with boots. the flat bottoms. Yeah. Just um, asking for a friend yeah. for kids and adults. What are your thoughts on Crocs? Um, they're not. Um, <laughs> they're not. They dry really fast. Um, yes. They, um, what other positives do you have? Do you about think them, they're Nicole? fashionable? Um, <laughs> Nicole, be careful what you say. 
I can I can cancel this conversation at any time. For all babies and children, the shoes need to fit firmly so they're not moving around in the shoe. Otherwise, it's hard to be stable. Can I just say, Sophie, I was wearing them today because I was going through mud and no joke, I thought if I was drunk in these, I would break my neck because I've got platform heels. Uh, sorry, platform Hers crocs. just keeps getting better. Yeah, and no, you like it is, look, I highly do not recommend platform crocs for children. Let's just no. keep it keep it at that. No, and I just, every kid's feet are different. So crocs are really wide, like they're really yes. wide. And for some kids, they have really wide feet. And for some of, like, my kids, well, if you can get, there's different top types of Crocs you can get, I'm going to say that, and you need to make sure that the shoe is fitting snug so they're not having to, like, move around in the shoe. But if you've got a kid that is, like, if I took Will out into the bush and he was treading through the mud and I was like, oh, my God, I just need something to protect your feet, the protection would crocs. become the priority. And the Crocs might be helpful because yeah. they would stop the sticks and the, or if you had a photo shoot, you were things. like, I need some really good quality Crocs. shoes. Oh, Crocs. Crocs. Each to their own. Variety is spice <laughs> of life. Everyone, I didn't Jeez. just wear no shoes. And I would get probably like people being like, why don't you wear shoes in your family photos? Like, well, finding shoes for my husband and my son is hard. They don't want to wear them, so we've gone bare feet. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Absolutely. And finding two that match is virtually impossible. It is. What about knock knees or bow-legged knees? Goldie was born with quite bow-legged legs and I was told that you can just wait and it's not an issue until they're like four or so. So this is also really cool and why I love looking at the research because I think if you're going to be able to talk to parents you need to know what know the research. There's this really cool guy that led this team of professionals that followed these kids for years and like watched their normal development and we know that when you're in the womb you're like kind of like in that fetal position but actually your your hips are rotated in but your legs are bowed so it's a bit funny the way to try and fit in there and so kids do have it's normal to have bow legs up until about that 18 month mark and kids to answer your question earlier jade kids that start walking a little bit earlier like that six seven months the bonus will be more apparent because they're standing earlier and putting weight through but they'll all they'll all shift along but um you might see it more in that age group because they've started walking yeah. earlier on those bendy bones and then so they start off where they're really rotated in at their hips and then but they're really tight through there because they're like I can't even do it because they're like that mm. the hip bones are rotated in but their hip muscles are trying to pull them out like this and so that's why they waddle when they walk with their mm. like that's normal because so yeah, because yeah, we used to joke that Goldie looked like she'd just got off a horse. Yeah. Because she would waddle but then have her legs bowed like that's where the horse was. Yeah. And then that as as they put weight through their legs and walk more, the muscles loosen and the bone unwinds naturally and you'll see that by about four they become really knocked. By about two and a half to four they start to become really knock-kneed and then, then their hips keep unwinding and then by about eight they straighten up. Oh, so they kind of overcompensate and then go back. Yep. And so that's cool. why like up to about three, four, like lots of kids will still prefer to W sit this because their hips are naturally rotated inwards and they're rotating out. And W sit is where your knees point forward and then your feet point back. Yes, yeah, so if you look right. from down, it looks like a W. But again, this is like the crawling thing. Like people are like, oh, I can't do w. that anymore. No, neither can I. But you could when you were little because that your bones, yeah. they were unwinding 
And it felt, it was easy. It was easy to sit like that. And people were like, oh, double year sitting is the end of the world. And I'm like, <laughs> well, not really, because most kids can do it and most toddlers do it. And, mo- you know, most of them spend about 30 milliseconds in sitting and then they're off to the next thing. And so, I know. <laughs> like, in that 30 milliseconds, I'm not going to be like, oh, crisscross applesauce. Like, don't sit like that. Like, you know. So um, when would you when would you start to worry, like, after eight, if they're walking like is that the the real time that you would address it so basically at any age if you they're walking with one side that's different so if one foot is yep. turned in or turned out or if they're tripping or falling or they're mm. complaining about pain or there's measure, if it's really really like if they're really not knees and there's a big distance between the ankles or they or one side is knocked or bowed then you check in we expect that the knock knees and the bowlet, like all of that kind of resolves by about that eight or six to eight marks, you'll see a resolve. In terms of the W sitting, that as they unwind, they can't do it a little more naturally. And some people can just because how flexible they are. But I always say if they're stuck in that position and they only play in that position, that's for everything. If they're stuck sitting with their legs out straight or if they can only sit in one position, whether it's a W or not, they're only in one yeah. position and they can't get out of that position, then check in. Um, yeah. But, you know, people go, oh, you know, W sitting causes hip dysplasia. And if you go on the hip dysplasia website internationally, they're like, there is no relation. <laughs> w sitting does not cause hip dysplasia. Hip dysplasia not does not cause, you know, like doesn't do it. But like, I'm like, oh man. So there's so much like worry and fear. And I get it because as a therapist, the kids coming to the clinic are the kids that need help. So you're seeing this small demographic of kids that are stuck in yeah. W sitting and have low core muscles and all of those things. And you kind of get that in your head that that relates, but then you go and sit in a pre-primary. It's like a false yeah. anecdote. You go and sit in the kindergarten relation. and all the yeah. kids are sitting like that and climbing off the monkey bars and swinging and throwing and are completely, you know, it's an in the normal. So it's like, you just have to be aware of different populations. And yeah, if it's the only thing they can do, if there's regression one side or it's not changing, then checking. Amazing. Sorry, I really like to try and contain and decatastrophize. No, I think that's great. No, it's awesome. Do you have any final words for any, I guess, new mums out there, especially first time mums who might be feeling stressed about, you know, keeping an eye on milestones or mm. just feeling stressed in general? I have one while you're thinking. Go and watch Bluey oh, yeah. Baby Race <laughs> episode. Sorry. I think my daughter was like, it's been like nine months and we watched the air date of that episode. You know how like that was the new season and every morning we'd sit down to mm. watch Bluey and I was just in tears. I was like, oh, I love this. Oh, my gosh. I haven't I watched it. Oh. oh, my gosh. The final scene where she says, I don't know, I must have just seen something I liked or something mm. like I was a mess. My girls are looking at me like, are you okay? Mm. Yeah, go, watch go watch it, it. now, Jay. Especially if you had a, um, oh, well, I will. If you're a little girl with thumb shuffler, you'll be like, oh, oh okay. My yeah. Yeah, it, yeah right. well, it made me really emotional. But it is, I love Bluey. But it is, um, yeah, I don't know. I just think that, like, variance is normal. And if you're feeling stressed about something, check in with someone that you trust. Like, you know, and sometimes, you like, you might check in with your GP, but you might find that they're not listening to you. So check in with someone that trusts and listens to you and listens to your concerns and helps explain what's going on and empowers you rather than just kind of dismissing or being the expert, like check in with someone that you trust Mm. and find the people that understand you and are like you in motherhood, I guess, um, so that you, you you feel less stressed about that. But um, yeah, all babies are different. They all have their little unique trajectories and try and find the magic in what they are doing 
and build that through connection and play. I don't know. I love play. Oh, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Um, it's something I wish I listened to before I kind of started motherhood just to ease those worries a bit. So thank you so much. Thanks, Shay. Thanks. I will say I do have the Baby Play Academy. I always forget so I do have like a little course it's called the Baby Play Academy, which is like hits and hits of play ideas, I think over 200. And all like if you wanted to Google is bum chuckling normal, instead of Googling it, you go to the Baby Play Academy and it's there and it gives you all that. Unreal. Yeah. So it's like we'll is, link it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, so it has like instead of Googling, you can just go there or you can ask it in our little forum and we give you very like this is what we know and like this is what you can do and so it's very like a big warm hug. That's so good because I think that it really stresses parents out being told like play with your kids like no. that doesn't come naturally no. to a lot of people mm. and I think sometimes it makes you feel like you're not a good parent because you don't know how to play. No, and, yeah. and sometimes playing is just setting up play for them. Yeah, and watching and you're just like sitting there with your book and your cup of tea and <laughs> that's my favorite type themselves. of play. <laughs> that's my favorite type of play too. And I did all that for my son and he just wanted to touch me the whole time. But my daughter just goes off and does her own thing. And so that's where the personality comes yeah. into. So the Baby Play Academy has like all different types of play and encourages variety. And some people really want to play and other people really just want to sit back. And so there's different options. Thank you well, ladies, so much. I've got to go watch Bluey, so I'm going to leave you all there. <laughs> yes, you do. And Report yeah, that. I will for sure. Send us a selfie of you crying. Okay. Ciao. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.